Shalom, y'all. What do you know about the seven biblical festivals of the Bible? If you're like me, the growing up, you probably haven't heard much about them. So I'd like to tell you a bit about what I've learned about them and talk about the application of them. Were they just Jewish feasts, um, or is there any type of applicability for them today? So that's what we're going to get into today. I'm Spencer Bullduke, and it's time to sound the shofar. text today that we'll be looking through is Leviticus 23. So if you want to go ahead and pull out your Bible, um, give you some time to find your place there. Now, um, as you're looking, I'm going to go ahead and give a basic view, an overview of what the seven festivals were meant to be. Um, So they're broken down into various sections. Um, so the seven festivals of the year that these would take place, uh, four of them would be more in the springtime and then three would be more in the fall. This is a really important distinction, um, because the first four, uh, are primarily going to be looking backwards to things that occurred in Israel's history, whereas the three fall festivals were primarily looking forward to things that would happen in the future, uh, and more specifically, closer to the end times. So um, that gives kind of a basic uh, clue about what we're about to be looking at, because once we look in the the biblical text, uh, it can be you can get bogged down a little bit without having that that big overview. Um, and in and further, um, those spring festivals can be broken down. And, to, uh, to two. So the first three are all surrounding the Passover event. Um, and then the festival of weeks, um, it's kind of off by itself. So it is, uh, in the middle of all of these festivals, it's the fourth festival. Um, it is technically included in the spring festivals. Um, but it's also kind of by itself too. Um, and I think that Yahweh had an intention for why it's like that. Um, but uh, I just want to have you have you understanding that there's a, a big overview to these. Um, and I'll only be talking a little bit about each one today because I want uh, this to be an overview. Uh, without going too much into the details of how each one are done, um, we can still have a bigger picture of what they all uh, are meant to do and symbolize um, and can meet, can give us the meaning for what it's, it's meant to be, what it was, what it is, and what it will be. Um, there's still a whole lot that I'm learning about these, um, but I think that, uh, I think you'll, you'll appreciate 
some of the things that we talk about through this. And it should raise questions for you um, regardless, whether you agree with me or not. All right. So Leviticus 23. Um, All right. So I'll be reading some of this and then talking about little portions piece by piece. All right. So the, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the people of Israel and say to them, these are the appointed feasts of the Lord that you shall proclaim as holy convocations. They are my appointed feasts. All right. So first off, these are not intended to be Jewish festivals. Um, you won't find anything specifically saying Jewish in here. Um, specifically, they're described as his festivals. Um, they are Yahweh's festivals. Um, so that should help orient us towards him rather than a specific group of people that you may or may not feel any um, closeness with. Now, the the before it even talks about the seven, it brings in the Sabbath. And I would love to talk about the Sabbath as part of this. That is what the passage t- talks about. Um, I kind of feel like I have to have a whole episode just on the Sabbath. Um, but do know that the Sabbath is included in the festivals of Yahweh. Um, but I'll have to do that another day. Okay. So first he goes over the Sabbath, then he goes into the Passover. So the Passover is the first of the seven uh, yearly or calendar festivals. Okay, so these are the appointed feasts of the Lord. This is verse 4. The holy convocations which you shall proclaim at the time appointed for them. In the first month, on the 14th day of the month, at twilight, is the Lord's Passover. Okay, um, now the calendar, that's a whole nother topic that I can't really get much into uh, today because it's based primarily on the lunar calendar, so based on the moon cycles, um, and based on some descriptions of uh, the moon cycle and the Passover, the Passover has to be in the spring, and there's a, a, a lot of um, uh, different ways that people have tried to understand when this is. Basically, it's the spring. So when this, uh, this moon would arrive, um, that they would count 14 days. On the 14th day is Passover. Now, uh, in, in this description, there's... There's nothing that talks about what happens. Uh, you have to go back to Exodus um, to read what the original instructions are um, with the Passover. But um, and this is definitely the most um, known. Like m- most Christians have at least some idea of what the Passover is. Of the seven, the Passover is the most known. Um, you, you may remember about the, 
the Israelites having to put the blood of the lamb over their doors, and that's the angel of death would pass over them. Um, the the connections with Christ are significant. Um, and it was the blood of the lamb, if you remember, that it was through that that the people were released. Um, so it was through the blood of the lamb that they were released from Egypt um, and it represents the releasing of from slavery. Um, and when we look back at Christ, we argue that it was the blood of the Lamb that freed us from sin. Okay. Now, um, let me go back to the passage. Um, I'm not really used to switching back and forth between the screens, but I'll get better at it. Now, um, so there's a lot about the Passover, and it really deserves... Again, like almost all, all of these things, I, I really would like to do a whole episode over. Um, so the Passover represents Christ's death. Okay, continuing with, with verse 6. And on the 15th day of the same month is the Feast of Unleavened Bread to the Lord. For seven days you shall eat unleavened bread, and on the first day you shall have a holy convocation. You shall not do any ordinary work. But you shall present a food offering to the Lord for seven days. On the seventh day is a holy convocation. You shall not do any ordinary work. All right. So Passover happens not just on a whole day. It's really about a specific time of the evening when the lambs would be slaughtered. Um, and that enters into, like directly into, the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Now, uh, and, and I will be using feast and festival somewhat interchangeably um, because the same word is used in Hebrew uh, for both of those. Um, so that kicks, the Passover kicks right off into um, the week of unleavened bread. The, the first day um, being a holy convocation, um, it's, it's its own Sabbath um, and the seventh day of that is also its own Sabbath. So these holy convocations, assemblies that they gather together specifically for uh, celebration of this festival. Um, so the first and seventh day are their own Sabbaths. Um, some would argue that uh, these are the Sabbaths that are talked about uh, in the New Testament. Um Specifically, that um, uh, we, we know that Christ died before a Sabbath. Um, and some argue that it was this Sabbath that it was talking about. Again, we'll have to go into that uh, argument maybe another time. But just know that it's there. All right. So, um, unleavened bread uh, then moves into first fruits. Um, one more thing about unleavened bread. So, um, unleavened bread, uh, if, if Passover represents freedom from slavery, um, the, the blood of the lamb, uh, Christ's blood, um, the unleavened bread, again, going back to the original instructions in Exodus, they're to put the unleavened bread, um, outside of their homes for the duration of that week. Um, and... And I would argue that the connection here is that Christ is doing away with sin 
um, that he's doing away with uh, with anything that could um, uh, be considered corrupting. And and of course, yeast or the leaven is not evil in itself. It's just meant to be representative in this in this sense. Um, and so, in this week, uh, there is this symbolism of putting sin out. Um, and and there really is more to this um, that I'm still learning because it's. Obviously, not just representing sin, like you know, you're not supposed to sin the rest of the year. So why would you eat leaven the rest of the year? Um, so there's something specific with um, his his burial that's important here. All right, now moving to the third festival, um, the feast of first fruits. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, "Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, when you come into the land." So Israel, that I give you and reap its harvest, you shall bring the sheaf of the first fruits of your harvest to the priest. Now this uh, this harvest, this that it's, he's referring to, is the barley harvest, and a sheaf is um, you know a gathering of barley, um, and they're to bring it to the priest. He shall wave the priest before Yahweh, so that you may be accepted. On the day after the Sabbath, the priest shall wave it. Um, now, what this means is that the day of first fruits, um, the day of first fruits is after a Sabbath. What that now, which which Sabbath is it? Is it the Sabbath of uh, uh, like the special Sabbath of the week of unleavened bread, or is it the regular weekly Sabbath? This is actually something that the Pharisees and Sadducees and a lot of other people have argued about. And and honestly, I'm not quite sure which one it is myself. What I do know is that the Bible talks about Christ raising from the dead the day after the Sabbath. Um, and and even with that, I I have um, I have others that would say that no, that's that's incorrect. Um, and you know. Some of these things I'm still working through. But this day after the Sabbath, uh, whichever, whatever, which, which, whichever one it was, um, is definitely referring uh, back to this event. And so the, uh, you could say that the waving of the sheaf is a symbol of life because um, they just uh, went through the winter. You're moving into spring and there's a symbol of life for the people. Um, he goes on to explain uh, different offerings that are to be made um, with this. And uh, we're going to go ahead and move over those since, one, we can't even do those um, because there's no temple. Uh, and I'd like to continue giving an overview. Now, uh, regarding these two festivals, it says, um, let me back one verse. And you shall eat neither bread nor grain, parched or fresh until the same day, until you have brought the offering of your God. It is a statute forever throughout your generations in all your dwellings. 
Um, now, when it says a statute forever, um, well, what does that mean? Does that mean forever until Christ comes or forever until forever? And this is one of the, the things that I think a lot of people just gloss over is if you argue like, well, we have Jesus, we have Yeshua, therefore, like he's fulfilled everything else. Like, why, 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 don't, why do I need any of, these, any of these other things? Well, if you look at the original context, it seems to be stating that this is meant to be for God's people forever. You may disagree with that, but let's go ahead and continue and look at some of the others. The next one, the Festival of Weeks. Now, so these first three, they all took place um, around each other almost immediately. They're within the same week. Um, <clears throat> now, the Festival of Weeks, it's later. All right, so it says in verse 15, You shall count... Seven full weeks from the day after the Sabbath. From the day that you brought the sheaf of the wave offering, you shall count 50 days to the day after the seventh Sabbath. All right. Seven full weeks from the day after the Sabbath. Now, again, which Sabbath is it? Um, I'm still honestly trying to figure out. Um, there's lots of people that have looked into this question. Um, we do know that wh whether you choose one day or the other, you're still going to be pretty close. Um, but it says seven full weeks, so 49 days. And then on the 50th day um, is when this festival would be concluded and celebrated. Um, in the New Testament, it goes by another name. It goes by the Greek name Pentecost. Um, this is not um, usually well known. I mean, most people that call themselves Pentecostals don't don't know that there's a connection back to this original festival. So when you when you see the the festival of Pentecost and you see the disciples gathered together on the day of Pentecost. Um, it is not an accident um, by any means. And it wasn't like the Pentecost doesn't mean anything having to do with the Holy Spirit. Like it, that's not the way it's described. Pentecost is a Greek word that means 50. It was just a word that they used in Greek to refer to the festival of weeks. So they were celebrating the festival of weeks when the Holy Spirit is described as coming upon them. Well, um, if you do the math and, and look through all the passages and try to, to do the numbers and counting from uh, the day that they left Egypt and go 50 days into um, where the Israelites were, uh, you know, this is difficult to do because there's a lot of changes in numbers. But if you come to that, you will find that the day that Moses came down with the Ten Commandments, that is the Festival of Weeks. That's the celebration that it's looking back on. 
this is something that that when uh, when Jews celebrate the festival of weeks uh, in Hebrew Shavuot, um, they're looking back on the giving of the Torah, the giving of the commands of Yahweh through stone. Um, and when New Testament believers look back on Pentecost, they're celebrating the law given in the Spirit. And these are meant to be looked at in parallel. They, they are meant to be connected. Uh, there, there should not be this, uh, this understanding that, that the, the Holy Spirit is not connected with any of this. You're supposed to draw the connection um, back with the commandments. So um, the Holy Spirit um, is given to people that already believed in Yeshua. Um, when you look back at the original story of Israel, they were saved out of Egypt, so they were saved out of slavery, um, but they didn't have instructions yet. They didn't have that yet. It was only later that he gave them instructions. Um, so those that believe in Christ, they believe in his death, burial, and resurrection, um, they get instructions on how to live out that life later. Um, this is a really important distinction because it can help teach you that the instructions in stone never saved the people. They were already saved, physically, that is. But the instructions in stone were meant to be a guide on how to live out this salvation that he has given them, that he's given them uh, a life outside of sin, outside of slavery, to live towards him. So that's a bit of an overview for a festival of weeks. Um, all right. We look forward. He gives instructions on how to give offerings. Um, and then he talks about you shall hold a holy convocation. You shall not do any ordinary work. So it's a, it's its own special Sabbath. They're supposed to meet together. It is a statute forever in all your dwelling places throughout your generations. Again, it's a statute forever. What do you do with that? Ah, yes. Now we move to the fall festivals. <clears throat> the first one. It just so happens that as I'm recording is the same day. Um, it is, well, this passage calls it the Feast of Trumpets. Um, so it says, in the, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel, saying, In the seventh month, on the first day of the month, you shall observe a day of solemn rest, a memorial proclaimed with blast of trumpets, a holy convocation. You shall not do any ordinary work, and you shall present a food offering to the Lord. <clears throat> All right, so seventh month. Again, you're counting from the spring. Um, that basically was going to put you in September and October time frame, depending on the year and how that how the calendar is called. Now, uh, most most Bibles will 
translate this as uh, Feast of Trumpets, a memorial proclaimed with the blast of trumpets. Um, in Hebrew, this would be called Yom Teruah. Um, and, and you probably can't see it. Um, let me see if I can pull up the, the Hebrew. Uh, you can see it in the top right. Teruah, shout or blast of war, alarm, joy. Um, what I can tell you is that uh, this Hebrew word, um, it is a, it's a type of shouting. Um, it's to make loud noise. Uh, my father-in-law would describe it as loud, piercing noise. Um, and, and obviously, uh, trumpet sounds. Um, let's see. Oh, no, what happened? There we go. Um, obviously, a trumpet will definitely fit that category. But um, one's voice uh, shouting also um, can be described as that. Um, so it'd be, probably be better to be called the uh, uh, the Feast of Soundings. Um, and I'll show you a, a passage in the New Testament that's meant to connect with this. Um, but first, um, you may have never heard any description of the Feast of Trumpets. Um you probably definitely never heard of it as Yom Teruah, unless you're like around some Messianic Jews or Messianics of some sort. Some sort. Um, but uh, you probably have heard it called Rosh Hashanah. Um, in Hebrew, that means uh, the new year, ahead of the year. Um, and it was never known as Rosh Hashanah until after the Jews left Babylon. Maybe even while they were in Babylon, that's a little unclear to me. But at some points, they started to view this as the new year. Um, now, when you look at the the argument, I mean the the numbers, it wouldn't make any sense for the seventh month to be called the new year. It would make make sense that the first month and the first day would be known as the new year. Um, which in Exodus, that is what it's called. Um, Jews would argue, I think, that this goes on a civil calendar. And this goes into a little bit more complexities um, than I would rather go into. But but know that, that they generally view a um, spiritual calendar starting on the first month and a civil calendar starting on the seventh month. Um which I think is interesting, and I think there are some th some uh, things we can draw from that, and that the um, the first coming of Christ, he hasn't come with his full kingdom yet. He started his spiritual kingdom, um, and that spiritual kingdom was really kicked off with Passover of this new covenant. This new covenant has been instituted, um, but it's, it's not finished yet. It's not finished yet. There's more to come. Um, and the Festival of Trumpets, Yom Teruah, this day of soundings, um, this is meant to be the initiation of this new kingdom, this physical kingdom, this 
civil kingdom. Um, so what we're going to do, what's going on here? Having trouble, technical difficulties. All right, so we're going to switch over to um, 1 Thessalonians 4.16. So it, this, this is a passage that talks about Christ's return. It says, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with the cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. So there's these these, diff, these various voices, this cry, this sound of the trumpet of God, um, which I call God's shofar. Um, these are the things that will accompany Christ's return. Um, now, if you're familiar with the um, the festival, it makes a lot of sense because Yom Teruah, it's a day where there's shouting, yelling, and the the blast of the shofars, the blast of the trumpet. Um, so they would they would have connected these these things and know like, oh, yeah, this day represents the return of Christ. Um, uh, there are other stories that are that uh, parallel this. It could be Joshua six, um, where the the people shout um, when they've gone around the city um, once they've heard the blast of the shofar and the walls fall down. This also happens with Gideon, that uh, his three hundred men they shout um, while they're um, blowing on their shofars. Um, and you know they conquer these these people and they mainly kill themselves. Um, so these were these were things that they would have heard and connected, and um, and so there's this connection between Christ's return um, and this day. Um, now some of you are probably wondering, well, or thinking like, well, we don't know when Christ is going to come back. I was like, for sure. We don't know when exactly he's going to come back. But these festivals, they were done on exact days. The Passover, Christ died on exactly that day. He, The unleavened bread, he was buried. First fruits, he rose from the dead. These are on exact days. Look forward to Pentecost, Festival of Weeks. On that exact day, the Holy Spirit um, came upon the people. Um, 3,000 3, people were saved that day. 3,000 people, when the Ten Commandments were brought down, died. Those connections are there. They happened on exact days... And so one of the things that came to me is like, well, why wouldn't the fall festivals be um, fulfilled in some way on exact days? At least that's my thinking. <clears throat> um, all right, let's go back to the passage. Um, all right, that's First uh, Thessalonians. All right, you got the festival of Teruah, Yom Teruah. 
blast of trumpets. We shall move on to the Day of Atonement. Verse 26, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Now on the tenth day of the seventh month is the Day of Atonement. It shall be for you a time of holy convocation, and you shall afflict yourselves and present a food offering to the Lord. Um, all right, so the, the Day of Atonement, um, you may have heard this called uh, Yom Kippur. Um, now, Yom Kippur means Day of Atonement or Day of Covering. Um, in Hebrew, it's Yom Kippurim. I don't think it's ever used in the singular, um, to my knowledge. So here it's actually Yom Kippurim. It's Day of Coverings. You know, we say Day of Atonement, but atonement doesn't really draw any meaning for us when we hear that word. The idea is that their sins were covered. Um, so Yom Hakip, it's called Yom Hakipurim, Day of Atonements. Um, I shall go back to the passage. <clears throat> All right, so um, Holy Convocation. So they're supposed to meet. You shall afflict yourselves. Um, there's a lot of questions about what does that mean. Jews typically have uh, translated this as or interpreted this as uh, fasting because it is a way to afflict yourself. It's not the most fun thing. Um, it's a way that your your body is somewhat afflicted. Um, it, it probably could go beyond just fasting, but that's a that's a pretty good interpretation, I think. Um, you shall not do any work on that very day, for it is the day of atonement, Yom Kippurim, to make atonement for you before uh, Yahweh your God. Um. All right, so it says, Forever, For whoever is not afflicted on that very day shall be cut off from his people. Um, and whoever does any work on that very day, that person I will destroy among his people. <clears throat> now, I'll, I'll raise this, one, because it's in the text and it sounds important, um, but also because, um, well, it sounds like you'd be cut off from his people, and if you worked on that day, you'd be destroyed, uh, that should raise some some you know flags that that he considered this day really important. Um, Passover isn't treated like that. Unleavened bread isn't treated that seriously. First fruits isn't treat, treated that seriously. Um, Yom Teruah, the day of soundings, that's not even treated that seriously. Uh, but Yom Kippur or Yom Kippurim, that is. Um, and where Yom Teruah, I could argue, is is the day where Christ is going to come back. Um, Yom Hikipurim, uh, this has largely been understood as the day of the Lord. Um, you could also call it the judgment day, which makes sense. There's this day of covering for his people, um... But there's also this idea of judgment, that if you aren't under him, that you will be judged. Um, it's, you know, this is one of the reasons that they're to afflict themselves. It's not like a meant to be a super happy 
happy occasion. It's the day of judgment. This is not a day that you're supposed to look forward to exactly, but it is one that you're called to, um, they're called to hear and to understand and to, um, uh, to meet together and they're called to, um, afflict themselves. Um, now he calls this again, a statute forever. So it's a statute forever throughout your generations and all your dwelling places. Shall be to you a Sabbath of solemn rest. You shall afflict yourselves um, on the ninth day of the month, beginning at evening, from evening to evening, shall you keep your um, your Sabbath. Um, they didn't count days like we do. Um, is from the evening to the evening. So the ninth day of this lunar month, uh, once the evening hit, that starts the 10th day of the month that starts Yom Kippur. And this is true for um, how the Hebrews understood every day, um, which is definitely not how um, most of us have grown up. Um, all right. So the last of the festivals, uh, the Feast of Booths. All right. So uh, and this is also called the uh, the Feast of Tabernacles or the Festival of Tabernacles or in Hebrew, Sukkot. Um, it, says, it says, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel on the 15th day of this seventh month. So again, this is late September, early October. And for seven days is the Feast of Booths um, to the Lord. On the first day shall be a holy convocation, so holy meeting. You shall not do any work. For seven days they shall present food offerings. On the eighth day is another holy convocation. Um, and again, there's no ordinary work on that day. <clears throat> now, the uh, Festival of Booths. Um, the Festival of Booths. This is kind of a camping festival. Um, they're, they're meant to uh, live in these booths. Tabernacles, again, these are words that we don't normally use in English. Um, so they're meant to be temporary shelters. Um, and there are some descriptions that are given to um, to these shelters. Um, and, and like there's, I think there's important symbolism to them. Um, but at least for me and my, uh, my church assembly, like we go camping and like we'll make one of these shelters like this. And we look at it, um, and there is symbolism behind it. The idea is uh, that you're supposed to look back at when the Israelites were in the wilderness for 40, year, uh, 40 years, and they lived in booths. Um, so there is some sort of connection uh, between the festival remembering Israel's past um, as well as looking forward to the future when God will again tabernacle among us. Um, there's some that would even argue that um, in John, uh, I believe it's chapter one, where it says that, uh, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, that the Greek is actually saying, and that the word became flesh and tabernacled among us. or And so there'd be like this word play, going back to this festival. That's a little bit of uh, interpretation, but I think it's uh, kind of useful. 
All right, so these, these seven, um, and, and further into the Sabbath, but um, these are the appointed feasts of the Lord, which you shall proclaim as times of holy convocation. Um, so each of these is meant to be done, like, on its proper day, um, and they have more descriptions on how they're to be done. Um, again, this one is called a statute forever throughout your generations. You shall celebrate it in the seventh month. You shall dwell in booths for seven days. Um, and again, he calls them, uh, for Moses declared to the people of Israel, the appointed feasts of the Lord. <clears throat> So these, these festivals, they're called the festivals of Yahweh because they're his festivals that he's sharing with the people of Israel. And so then you could say that they're Israelite festivals, um, but they're not, you know, originally theirs. They were given to them. Um, now, one of the questions that you may have uh, is, is, are these things that we should be doing? Now, just from one, me having the conversation, you already know that answer for me, that I see applicability in these for us today. Um, and there's one passage that uh, people usually go to to say that we don't need to do the festivals. The festivals have been done away with. And and I get it. I, I Like when you connect back to Passover... Um, uh, like you look at first fruits, you look at unleavened bread, you look at um, the festival of weeks, you can draw the connection with things that have happened. Um, but one of the problems is, is that these were meant to be festivals forever. They are statutes forever. Um, and, and so how do you get around that? Um, well, the, the passage that usually people go to um, when I have these conversations, it's in Colossians 2. So we're going to go to that there real quickly, and, and then we'll start to wrap this up. So, let's see. <clears throat> okay, so Colossians 2. Um, this, is a really, this is one of the only passages that people will ever go to um, concerning the festivals. Um. And there are some other passages that talk about, um, like Paul looking forward to practicing um, the Passover um, in Israel. It's it's mentioned a couple times. The others don't get so too many mentions. Um, so this is really one of the more direct ones. So uh, this is Colossians two, verse sixteen, sixteen and seventeen says, therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Now, um, I used to read this and think that this passage is talking to, well, obviously, to Christians, um, since it is a letter to the church at Colossae. Um, but it's re I used to think that it was referring to 
Jews that are looking down on these Christians for not celebrating these other things. Um, and, and like, for sure, like I, I, I never would have questioned that. And I imagine uh, many of you wouldn't have, um, but the way it's phrased and the context, um, I think that, that it should be read another way. So when you look at this and it says, therefore let no one pass judgment on you. Well, who, who is this? Who is passing judgment on them? Um, typically, Jews didn't care if other people weren't doing festivals or the Sabbath. Like they, they don't usually care. Um, they're usually more confused that if you are doing them. But uh, so is it? Is it the Jews, or is it the other pagans that are around them? Now, if you read the rest of Colossians. Um, I argue you will find no mention of any Jews or Jewish beliefs anywhere. But if you look in the context, you will know that uh, you will find that it's pagans that were looking down on them. Um, this is uh, kind of seen. Uh, well, I'll, I'll just say you need to read it for yourself and then you can make judgment for yourself. But I would argue that it's talking about um, pagans. Um, now, I'm not going to go into food and drink, not going to go into the new moons or in the Sabbath, because those are each like their own complicated topics. I will talk about the festival. So don't let any, anyone pass judgment on you in question of a festival. And the key verse here is verse 17. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Now, even if even in this translation, and I, I would translate it a little bit differently, but these the, the tense is important. It's really important what the tense is saying here. These present tense are a shadow. Um so it's not they were a shadow. That's what you normally would say. That's why the way mo most people would describe this. They were a shadow of what's to come and, and they're no longer applicable. But he said these are a shadow. He says of things to come. And I'm going to go ahead and um, pull up a breakdown of this in Greek. Um. So it says, these are a shadow. You can see on the, the left is Greek. On the, the right is the English, um, English Standard Version translation. These are a shadow um, of things. It says things to come, but in Greek, this is one word. And here it would be described um, as a present active participle. What that means, and it can be translated as uh, like about to or is going to. So <clears throat> I go back up. I'll just look at this. Uh, you can see a little bit here. These are a shadow of the things to come. So you can translate it, and I would argue you should translate it, as these are a shadow of, of what is about 
to be happening, of things that are coming down the line, of things that are going to happen. So they're foreshadowing. It, I mean, that's it says shadow. I think it would be a, a good argument to say that these are foreshadowing, that these are um, shadows of things that are coming. Um, it says, but the substance belongs to Christ. Go back to this trans this uh, breakdown. Um, here, uh, this is where it says uh, you see the substance. I can have, have it highlighted in Greek and um, in English. Um, that word for substance is body. I'm going to go ahead and click it. Soma. Um, you can see this translation is a body, a person, slave, body, flesh, skin. Um, you get this very physical idea that's meant to be a... It can be translated as a physical body. So go back to the translation so that... But the substance, the body, says belongs to Christ. You look at the translation again. Well, the word belongs, it's not actually exactly there. Um, it's added to help describe it's, this word. Is, it's more like of Christ. So it's talking about the body of Christ. You could even say the substance is like the flesh is him. It He's where the rubber meets the road. These festivals are about him. That's what he's arguing. So if these festivals, and this goes for some of these, these other things as well, but talking about the festivals specifically. If the festivals are specifically about him, and he's and he's saying, "Don't let people pass judgment on you for doing these things." Um, that would mean that what he's really saying is that this passage um, is meant to support the festivals. Um, that the festivals, um, the festivals, are about Christ. That's what he's saying. That these looked forward to what he would do on the cross, what he would do in his burial, um, what he would do with the resurrection, what he would do with sending his Holy Spirit. Um, and those are all spring festivals. Those are things that were always meant to be memorials. They looked back on what happened with Israel on physical days. But now they look forward to to things that are going to happen. And they always have had that prophetic um, view in mind. They're looking forward to what will happen. Um, and I would argue that the the first of those, Yom Teruah, um, known as Day of Trump Trumpets, is the day that Christ will come back. Yom Kippur, Yom Kippurim, Day of Atonements. Um, that's the Day of Judgment. Um, going to Sukkot, the Festival of Tabernacles, that's when he will take up residence among us for good, and Yahweh will live with his people forever. That's what it's meant to be a picture of. So, 
when I look at the festivals, they're meant to be visual aids for us um, to practice so that we're ready and looking forward to when he comes back. Um, I think it's a mistake that that Christianity has has looked down on these things. Um, why would you? Why would you? If I think if you look at these, it says that these were meant to be statutes forever. For sure, there's a lot of details about them that we can't do, uh, especially when it comes to sacrifices and and different offerings. Um, but he said they were meant to be a statute forever, not until the temple was gone. Um, when Paul was writing his letter, like he wasn't thinking, like, oh, well, we'll keep doing these until um, until the temple's destroyed. Um, no, he saw these as as picturing things that are going to be happening, things that are coming down the line, um, and they're meant for us. Um, and I think um, if we celebrate these things, it will encourage us um, that we're not just looking back at what he did. We're also looking forward to what he will do, that he is coming back for his people. And uh, there will be judgment. Um not only for his people of various kinds, but judgment on the world. It's not going to be a happy day. Uh, so there's this happy day of looking forward to when he's going to come back. And there's also this time of looking like that there's going to be judgment and it's not going to be uh, that happy. But then you're also going to have this time where he dwells among us forever. And while there's a whole lot of details about these that, uh, that we don't know, that I'm trying to work through myself and, and I'm a lot that I'll never know um, until it happens. What we do know is that these things are, I would argue are for us. So um, take that for what it is. Study it for yourself. Um, if you enjoyed this, let me know. Um, you have questions, let me know. I mean, these are things that I, I, I enjoy questions and being pushed back on. Um, I hope this is helpful. Um, I would like to do videos on this in the future, uh, more specifically and in detail on, on each one, um, on the Sabbath. These are questions that um, a lot of us may not have grown up with, um, but they're in the scripture. Um, Yahweh, God makes them important. Um, and, and I have to question whether we've missed out on a lot, um, because I think that there's a lot that we can learn from this. All right. Well, till next time. Hey guys, I hope you enjoyed that. If you have any questions, let me know. Um, you have any comments? I'm, I'm all ears. We're just all trying to work through this together. Um, you know, may... I be a blessing to you as and encourage you on your own studies and the scriptures and feel free to push back um, because for certain I need it too. All right, guys, take care.